1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I'm not your host, Mike Simple Jr. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John Thurmond. I'm an HR leader, and I'm a host of the HR Social Hour Half Hour podcast. Mike and I have switched microphones and studios this week. You're going to actually hear him on the HR Social Hour episode 170 with my co-host, Wendy Daly, and today's guest. I'm very excited to welcome Katrina Kibben, CEO and sounder of Three Years Media, to Talent Magnet Institute. Katrina, really appreciate you joining us. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking part in this grand experiment that we are trying. (laughs) You know I love an experiment. I I do. (laughs) You know, I think, Katrina, when we think about talent magnets and great leaders, they're always looking for great people to join their teams and to be part of their teams. We've known each other for some time, and I think, you know, you've become known really well and regarded for your work. When it comes to recruitment strategy, candidate experience, you know, the topics of the day that that this podcast focus on and what you do, what do you believe leaders need to be doing right now to create a positive impact for their future?
0: Yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of things that you can do. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is writing for recruiting and really being better communicators and specifically with the job posting. Now, of course, I'm biased, right? I've spent the last three years researching, diving into job postings and really understanding their influence on teams. But I feel like in that process, I've realized that I ran into hundreds of recruiting issues that could have been solved with better communication. But for some reason, I never once met a recruiter who called themselves a writer.
1: (laughs) Isn't that weird? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I... We've talked about this before, I think, that I think a lot of recruiters, particularly those that are in big companies, the training as they get as such is uh, rote, for lack of a better word. And we rely so much on the tech to knock out people based on keywords or whatever it is. You may be the best candidate, but if your resume or your application doesn't necessarily reflect, truly reflect your ability, we may never see you to begin with.
0: Exactly. Communication falls through on every single piece of this. It's really unfortunate, I think, how misunderstood the relationship is between recruiters and candidates, right? And I know that because of the questions I get asked by candidates, like, should I send a thank you note? And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Why are you worried about sending a thank you note? Or, or can I follow up and ask if I'm moving along? That seems like table stakes to me. You went through an interview, they met you, they know you. Why are we so scared to communicate about the factors that actually matter for our experience beyond the technology and automation?
1: Let's talk a little bit more about that. Or before we started recording, you mentioned that you have just taken part or really did a massive undertaking when it comes to looking at job posts, because I'm going to let you share kind of the numbers, and I can't even fathom the sheer number of job posts that are available out there across the board, not just in the States, but globally. You know, talk a little bit about that project and what you assessed and and kind of what you found.
0: Yeah, I think job postings are where communication starts and often ends. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real failure point. And it seems like such a micro event in the big picture of the hiring scheme and the candidate experience, but it is critical because it's the first moment. And so the first part of, I guess, my research was understanding what's actually critical to conveying what we need to and getting the right person to apply. So check. But then I wanted to understand what kind of bias job postings bring into the hiring process. Because I don't think you're going to be terribly surprised when you hear this from me, but I got really frustrated at the idea that we have boy words and girl words. And that was our only way of measuring bias in a job posting until now. And so I did a 100-year research study of job postings because I had a hypothesis. If we're using the exact same tactics that we used 100 years ago, are we bringing 100-year-old bias into our hiring process? And the answer is yes. So I went back, and you'll be surprised to know that job postings from the 1920s actually look a lot like the job posting we share today. In fact, I even found some of the exact same language from 1920 until now. And so by going at that macro level, looking at job postings every decade to see how they've evolved, I was able to identify some very specific tactics that we all use that are bringing unknown bias into our hiring process and are actually stopping the people we say we want to have apply from actually applying. It's been really, really fascinating and I'm a giant nerd. So clearly, (laughs) I enjoyed
1: it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that from the standpoint that you've done this assessment, you've looked at this period of time, and again, I can't even imagine 100 years of posts. You know, what is the gap that you see right now between organizations, these people leaders that are trying to get great people in the door to be part of their teams? What's the big gap now? Where are we getting stuck from the company side?
0: Yeah, so these companies say they want great people. They say they want diverse talent. And then they create unnecessary requirements and barriers in their job postings that stop those people from ever applying. Let me give you an example. Years of experience. Years of experience is a very common way to add some kind of qualification to a posting, right? We say we want an experienced candidate, but what does experience mean? It does not mean that we can quantify their experience. 15 years of doing something is not the same. Example. I spend three years as the CEO of Three Ears Media. Compare me to the Google CEO who has worked for three years as the CEO of Google. Technically, we both have executive leadership experience. (laughs) We both have three plus years of executive leadership experience. Are we the same? Absolutely not. Right? (laughs) And what happens is recruiters, the companies, we keep asking, well, what else? What else? And when you ask for a list, you'll get one. And then we create this list. We go on and on in the posting about all the things that we think we want, but we don't know. And those create barriers for the applicants that we say we want. What happens psychologically is that people read it and they go, I'm not qualified. I shouldn't apply. But the crazy part is the recruiter doesn't even know what the qualifications are. They just wrote it down because someone told them to. And so we've created this friction between what we want and the actions we're taking to get those people. We have to stop using miscellaneous requirements and thinking people will just get it and they'll know what's important. That's not how things work.
1: How do you think we get leaders there? So if if I'm a hiring manager, and again, I want to get great people in the door, I've been kind of, or I've always thought senior equals this. To your point, you've got three years and Jeff Bezos has three years or whoever it may be, right? That... To your point, and, it, and it's a great one that those are not necessarily equitable. How do we get those leaders to think differently about what's key and what's critical? You know, again, as a recruiter, as, a, as or as an HR professional, whoever's working with that leader, how, hey, leader, you want the best people. Years of experience does not necessarily equate to what you need. How do we get there? What What have you seen be effective that way?
0: Yeah, you know. I think it starts at hiring manager intake and asking different questions in the first place, because I want people to imagine success, not a laundry list of requirements. And so instead of asking, what skills does this person have? I'm asking, what do your best people have in common? Instead of asking, what are their previous job titles? (laughs) I'll ask, what work would prepare, work or projects would prepare them for this role? Right. And then as the recruiter, when I'm sitting in the conversation, I know when I'm talking to the right person. Right? They're telling the exact same story. I just heard that hiring manager give to me. And as we educate leadership, your executive leadership on this evolution, we tell them that these words don't mean the same thing to every person. We use the exact same example I just gave you, and you watch the light bulb click. This is not a, a big leap, right? <laughs> And I think the second factor of it is you put a great job posting that's written about experiences next to the traditional one. And you ask them, what do you think these people do? Often that comparison point can help you get clarity and help your leaders get clarity on what good looks like in the first place. They just have to see it. Because you can Google any word and find a bad job posting. I actually tested this (laughs) last week with the word hippo purple, and lucid, just for funsies, okay? I found an awful job posting in the first five, every single one. And so leaders are conditioned to think that's what's supposed to be there because they've seen it a million times. Gives them an example of what good looks like and we start to make progression towards actually making things good.
1: When we talk about candidate experience, it, it goes well beyond, so we, we've posted that that great job description and we've, you know, hopefully the if there's a, pre-screen or a, th- a recruiter is talking to somebody and really talking up the organization and getting that great information for the, for the leader to decide on next steps. You know, I guess talk a little bit about from an interview perspective too, you know, I think so often that we're trained however we're trained, right? No one goes to school to get an interviewing degree. Just like we don't go to school to be a, now they do. When I started in HR, you didn't get necessarily get an HR degree. But, but, but as you're, you know, as you're refining and getting better at at job descriptions and, and job posts and getting that great talent to apply, talk a little bit about the kind of that interview process and and how, how do you get away from kind of the norm or what you've done in the past to really find that those great people?
0: Yeah, you actually repurpose a lot of the hiring manager intake questions into the interview, right? I love to ask people questions like, what makes a great day for you? If you were having the best day ever at work, what would you be working on? Who would you be working with? Right. And then not only that imaginative piece, because I want alignment. And I think that's the first area that dramatically impacts candidate and employee experience is that there's no alignment on what that person's actually going to do. Right. The bait and switch of starting a job and being like, this is not the job they sold me. No. Like family feud eh, X. like that is so right. That's terrible to me, and that's why I ask those questions because we have to be on the same page about what a good day looks like. I know what a day what an actual day looks like, and if you don't describe the same good day, it's probably not a good job for you. I think the other piece of it is to go into your interview, not only with the intent of getting your data out but the intent of being helpful, right? Let me help them. What do you want to know, right? Making space for them to ask questions and to hear what they're saying. What do you think the best people who do this job have in common? And look for that alignment between the hiring manager and how they talk about the work and how they get all excited about something and see if the candidate has that same kind of energy for similar topics.
1: It's interesting you mentioned kind of that process I think back when I was a supervisor, I would do panel interviews for my recruiters coming in, but then I would meet with them separately and say, okay, you've heard the good and the bad. Now here's the here's the ugly, the truth. And I actually had my leader hated that. And it always surprised me because I always said, look, I'd rather find the best people we can, but they know coming in, eyes wide open, what they're getting into. I said, I don't want anybody to tell me six months working here, John, you're a liar. You sold me a bill of goods. That big old X, the, the family feud X pops up because what you told me is not what I'm living with. I think that's really interesting that I think, you know, unfortunately, and you certainly know this better than I, the The pool of candidates now is is so much smaller across the board, no matter what industry you're in, that we're selling more and more than maybe we used to. Is that, yes, and that kind comes of what you're up, saying too?
0: Absolutely. On high volume, low retention roles, it's coming up more and more because they're so desperate for talent. Let me give you an example, warehousing, right? That is huge right now. Amazon, period, that's all I'm gonna say, <laughs> it's huge. And they are projecting a talent shortage for the next 10 years. They've just accepted that they'll be about 5% understaffed no matter what. That's insane to me, right? And so what they do is they think that they should oversell the perks and benefits. Okay, let me tell you how we're different because we're going to give you five extra dollars and blah, 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 blah. And I always tell those people, yes, and you need to tell people why they quit. You need to bluntly, and I usually say first sentence is being explicit about why people quit. So let's say they quit because it's shift work and they don't like shift work. This shift goes from this time to this time. Then you jump into the qualitative information and the information that helps them, A, say, yes, I want to do this job. And B, yes, I can do the job, right? But you actually need to lead with the, are you okay with this? (laughs) Not the perks. Because I don't want people committed to perks.
1: I want you committed to work. Let's talk more about that. So you get this great talent, you, you posted great job posts that get the right people in. You interview them and and we're doing those things that we've talked about that we think make them more effective. So now they're here, you know, beyond the candidate experience. Now we're talking more about employee experience, but with what what you've seen over the last many years, you know, what do you think people leaders need to do to show the employees, these people that have gone through this process, now they're here. What do we need to do to show that we care about who they are and what they bring to us?
0: Yeah. I think that's a very, very big question. It's huge, especially because right now there's so many societal influences on the idea of taking care of each other, whether that's your neighbor, your family, or your coworker, or a company taking care of you. And often we hear about companies taking care of their people in the negative light, right? Just look at the headlines. You can find a company getting shamed this week. It's not hard. But where I think we can make the gap and not get ourselves into the shame spotlight or bridge the gap more so is really, I feel truly going in and listening to people and setting up those increments from day one. I think the other side of it, and this is just from my personal experience, I'm actually working with a very large pizza company. And one of the things that they did that I've actually brought into my own company and I feel like every company should look at is that they do emotional resilience training during onboarding and they teach people how to give feedback. A pizza company, a family-owned pizza company, no less. And I don't want to give the name because I don't know that I'm allowed, but... I think what's really fascinating about it is that as I listened to their people tell me about this training, they said it made it okay to have to make mistakes. It taught them that it was okay to have ideas and that their ideas were welcome there. I truly feel employee experience with that framework will be better. And I think there are a million things I could say, right? There are a thousand different ideas I could give you when I think about it, but I think it starts early. And it starts with preparing people for conflict because conflict is inevitable. And right now, conflict is extra layered. Like I said, with all of those influences, we can prepare people for this world, not just this work.
1: One of the things that leaders have to do, you know, if we've done all these things to get the right people here, we gotta continue to maintain a positive work experience, right? And to your point, with all the other things going on in the world, we have to keep it positive. So what do you think leaders can be doing better regardless if it's pizza chains or warehouses, law offices, whatever it may be? What do you think we need to be doing right now to make those positive work experiences? You know, What behaviors, what do they need to demonstrate to really create that best experience for their people?
0: I think I can only speak from my truth as someone who manages people and as a leader of a company. And I find that making things positive is often the outcome of listening and acting with intent and allowing people to make mistakes and give them space to be human. I think, right, life is hard. We know that. Hard things happen every single day, whether we live in a pandemic or not. But I know that if I listen more, and I'm extra kind when things are hard, there will be a more positive experience ahead for them in their life. And I'll make room for that. And while we can't control positive outcomes, and right, we can't control all the bad things that happen. I do believe as a leader, it's very, very important to be positive about our future, to talk regularly about our future. And again, just to allow that space for imperfection.
1: For you personally, has that is that something you've come to more realize through the pandemic? You know, we've all, we've all been affected regardless of our business and what we do. You know, I've, I've learned a lot of truths or, or figured a lot of things out over the last year or two for me. Is that something that's really come to kind of hit you more in the last bit of time?
0: Oh my God, yeah. Before this happened, I very much treated this business like a mission. And when you're on a mission, there are only two outcomes. You win or you lose. That's not how work works. <laughs> That's not how business works, especially a small business, right? You don't win or lose. Every day doesn't change everything. We're not on that kind of urgency. This world, what I've learned through all of this, is that this world is a much better place when I am kind and flexible. That I am a happier human (laughs) when I can be flexible and stop looking at everything as a coin flip, black and white in the binaries of the world. I definitely see more friction and fewer outcomes when I look at everything as a win or a loss.
1: So Katrina, if you step back and you you say okay, we got great job posts, we're interviewing and being very thoughtful in terms of the questions we're asking to really to give those people the truth, the reality of what things are once they're here and they're we're engaging them in the in these new ways, these different ways and and in, encouraging people to to understand where they are what is one thing that you think the listeners these leaders that that are listening to this podcast now what's one thing you want them to leave with in terms of how do you encourage or challenge them you know what what's one thing that you would say hey this is really what you should focus on in the next 3 months 6 months 9 months a year that's going to help you and in, in your cause
0: this might be a surprising answer But what's coming to mind is that I think you need to figure out what you need to quit doing. Stop adding more. I've actually had this conversation with every person on my team recently because we're really going to a philosophy of doing the work better and smarter instead of more. And that was the other thing that came out of this pandemic was what do we we not like doing, right? right? Let's take that back. Let's stop doing that. Let's fix what's broken. Because right, the traditional influx wasn't as demanding. And so I would tell any company, whether you're a team of one or leading a team of 100, I would tell you to go back to your team after listening to this and ask, what do you want to quit doing? And start there. Start to prune back your life. This is how I think of it, right? So roses. You will never come upon roses in the wild because they must be pruned to thrive. Roses can't just grow, right? But everybody loves roses. Roses are the best. They're beautiful. They're (laughs) stunning. They're the best in class flower, so to speak, depending on your perspective. (laughs) You're following me here, right? I am, I am. For roses to grow, you must prune. If you want your team to be the best, you must do a little bit of pruning. And I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about cutting back your team. I'm talking about going to your team and saying, what do you want to stop doing? Let's fix it. Let's do better. I think mean, that can change your momentum.
1: As you have done that, what have you found as you've asked people to to prune, what you can prune or what they can prune? What What's the response been to that?
0: It's been really interesting because I feel a complete relief wash over them. They're like, holy holy man, you, <laughs> you trust me to prioritize and you've allowed me space to admit that something doesn't work for me. Like I talked to one of them not even two days ago. I heard her set, go, oh, that, wow, thank you, right? Because it allows them to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. And think about how many times do we create that scenario at work? Even in their review, it's all about what we think of them. It's not about what they think of us. And so, yeah, I I just, there's something freeing about being given permission to let go.
1: Katrina, I I appreciate this conversation and lots to think about. Some of the listeners that may not know you, this is a little different than what Mike would do, but I'm going to ask if they want to get in touch with you to talk about job posts or candidate experience, or to talk about some of these bigger ideas and these things that you speak on, what's the best way for them to reach you out there?
0: Yeah, so I'm the only Katrina Kibben in the world. So if you spell <laughs> my name right, you'll find me. You can also go to threeearsmedia.com. That is my company. It's named after two dogs with four ears, but we'll have to do a separate conversation for me to tell you
1: that story. <laughs> well, I, I know we've talked about that offline before, but we'll make sure that everyone is able to get all of you there. And then as for me, since I'm not Mike Sipple Jr., you can find me at johnthurman.com and the HR Social Hour podcast where you can hear Mike with my co-host, Wendy. That's gonna be on the same podcast platform that you're listening to this show. Again, Katrina, I appreciate you joining me today and appreciate you joining the HR Social Hour. I wanna thank all the listeners for joining us for the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Mike, will be back with you next week, but thanks again and take care. Thank you.
2: Thanks for joining us for this
0: episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.
2: The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team, that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine, and myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.